Hi guys, this is Drew from the Cellcast. This is, of course, another one of our Star Trek Lower Decks TAS re-releases. Uh, these being the episodes for uh, a mathematically perfect redemption and Crisis Point Two Paradoxus. Uh, this was originally on our review of the small ones, so yeah, join us for the next one, and we'll talk at you later. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. First episode of the evening for Star Trek Lower Decks is a mathematically perfect redemption. <laughs> Directed by Jason Zirk and written by Ann Kim, in this episode, a wayward Starfleet ensign struggles to find a path to redemption. I love that reaction. <laughs> I hate this little robot. Guest cast includes your favorite little robot, Kather Donahue as Pina Amper. Pina Amper needs to go into a trash compactor. Paul Shear as Andy Billups. Harry Shonder as Rauda. James C. as Cal Taurus. Lauren Tom as Aori, Ariari Female One. J.G. Hertzler as the Drukmani Captain. Uh, Fred Tadasior, who normally also plays Shax, also plays the Drukmani landing party leader. And we get one last little cameo by Jeffrey Combs as Agimus. Okay. The evil robot that was in that oh, one episode last that, season. That's right. And he shows back up in here. Yeah. You even see the little CBS logo robot next to him. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Getting into the trivia for this one. This is the second episode I'm thinking of the peanut hamper arc because I have no idea of this, how often she's going to come up now. Oh. I thought she, we were done with her at the end of no small parts yes. and she came back and had a whole episode. It's like, this is there's going to be more of this. I know uh -huh. there is uh, the standard lower decks title sequence is not used in this episode. Uh -huh. Instead, the series logo and opening credits are shown over shots of wreckage in the Kala system against a slower version of the main theme. This episode prominently features the return of the exocomp Ensign Pina Tamper. It is revealed that after the events of No Small Parts, she remains stranded in the debris field of the pack-led clump ship that attacked the USS Cerritos and proceeded to create a ship from the debris to leave. Hmm. Interesting note, in that opening sequence, 
you can see Rutherford's original implant in the wreckage. I saw that. <laughs> and, it's, like, and it looks active. It does look like active. it could active. So interesting. Yeah. Like that couldn't play at the end of the play. I'm not telling so, you a word. Oh, I know. I, 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 I will I, say. I, I can pick up context I, very well. I will say there it's not in the actual major part of the story of the ah. of, of of the last episode of the season gotcha but apparently there is an after credit scene that i originally missed ah that's all i'm saying ah this episode also marks the return of the drukmani captain who originally appeared in terminal provocations and marks the ad- additionally marks the return of Agimus, who is still imprisoned at the Daystrom Institute, he also echoes Peanut Hamper's earlier conclusions that her name is mathematically perfect. Peanut Hamper describes the Ariare as the poor man's Aurelians, referring to another avian race first introduced in the animated series episode Yesteryear and seen again in season two episode An Embarrassment of Duplers. Peanut Hamper's reference to Aurelians being the first canon use of their name in franchise history, 49 years after their first appearance. And that's all of the trivia I have for this episode. Mm. So how much do you hate Peanut Hamper? Oh my gosh. I wanted to kill her at the end of this. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Because for... Because one thing this episode does good, mm-hmm. does really good, is up until the Drukmani steal the other ship. Yeah. I was on her side. Yeah. I thought, good, you learned your lesson. I would be happy if you continue this way, I will I would like you, Peanut Amber. You could be a good character. Uh-huh. That was so I good. don't really like half of what you did on this planet and Good night. This was a Prime Directive episode, and I, I'm barely going to talk about Prime Directive, but then you screwed the pooch. And I mm-hmm. don't mean Rauda. Oh. I don't want to know how that worked. No, no, no. Let's not go there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but that's uh, cringe. Oh, my gosh. This is a weird episode in general. I agree. But I think it's done actually very well for what they're doing. Yeah. They give you a decent, a good story featuring this little exocomp, because mm. that is the alien race. Yeah. Uh, that she technically is. And there's a lot of interesting things they do with it, especially like everything they all, we all, okay. So I did say this is a prime directive episode. Yes. Do you know what the prime directive is? Yeah. You, it's uh you can't interfere with a civilization that is not discovered or developed warp one okay i think it's something you were very close prime directive is a little nuanced but i'll get into it the directive specifically states that a star a, a member of starfleet yeah specifically yeah is not to interfere in pre-warp cultures and yeah. this there's a similar thing with the federation but it's the version we always hear is the Starfleet one. Yeah. Uh, basically, up until their warp, they get reach warp one. The idea is you want to have as little cultural contamination yes. in their uh, culture as possible. Yeah. That becomes harder, of course, after they have warp capabilities. Right. Because now they're able to interact of their own free will mm-hmm. with other warp capable cultures. They're essentially yeah. joining the 
the galactic culture at that point while still trying to maintain their own yeah and then you get political problems which yeah. is the other half of that mm. or technically if they're not members of the federation you can't tell them what to do yeah which kind of goes without saying i think but that's beside the point yeah you, you can't <laughs> dictate what people will do just right but yeah so it's, it's part of the rule on the books it's like if they're not federation you can't really keep them from doing stuff even if you disagree with what they're doing yeah so by all technical accounts peanut hamper even though she wasn't breaking the prime directive at all in this episode she mm. didn't know that for a long time yeah agreed and even then kind of was still breaking the prime directive the second yeah. clause that no one talks about right so yeah and, and i usually hate prime directive because this is the the prime directive is what gets you like wesley crusher is going to get killed because he accidentally tripped and stepped on a flower yes in one episode mm. or uh a couple other problem episodes i have it's essentially easy it's writing fodder it's an easy thing and start yeah i agree they can do to give you easy tension on a, on a thing because they've used the prime directive so much it's like you hear the words prime directive and you either already sighing and wondering how long is this episode going to be mm -hmm. and i still give them props the, the lower decks writers props that we went two and a half seasons before they had mentioned they had an episode that actually dealt with the prime directive yeah and it dealt with this little robot that they did a good job i think of for like 15 minutes mm -hmm. making you feel sorry for her and are rooting for her redemption and even hiding what she was doing behind the scenes yeah i agree so the drew kamani says you know she brought us here and it's like no she did there's no way she did that she we saw her save as, as, as we recorded it <laughs> and they show the recorders like peanut hamper you are going to die <laughs> if not by their hands i will find a way <laughs> i cared for you they literally made us hate this character far more than we did at the end of no small parts i agree with you i, agree and I think with you that was that. their intention but you know continue. I agree. the the point where this little robot what's your name again peanut hamper peanut hamper she is an exocomp weird, weird name for a character peanut hamper but it's mathematically perfect according to her apparently but it's this annoying little robot who decided she's gonna bail and you know uh go rogue on her on her crewmates gets yourself lost in space and just she shows up on this planet shows them this planet is telling how primitive they are is breaking the prime directive mm -hmm. the entire time and um and just being the snot nose will be like oh i'm better than you i'm better than you and they they the the only the only the only reason she starts turning around is she starts falling in love with the prince. Which that's honestly, only, I've seen more, I've seen reason. worse I've seen worse stories. Yeah, that that would have still been acceptable, even though cliched. Yeah, that this man turned her around. I could still have accepted. Yeah, this. I agree. And so, even I I'm, when I was first watching this, I'm thinking, okay, this is cool, and then I realized there's still five minutes of the story left yeah. where on earth could they go because they're obviously wrapped up what i thought was all the plot lines oh look the drukmani has stolen one of their ships yeah oh peanut hamper's a liar yeah peanut hamper your name is not mathematically perfect yeah i i do i do like it where be like peanut hamper be like you you do see that redemption quality in the character and when like the village is being attacked and the prince is 
giving the be like he's always saying be like we need to uh be better we need mm-hmm. to be better we need to because Pete and Amber's kind of showed him that and uh that showed that some of those scenes still get just cringe beyond belief I'm like oh my yes. gosh he went there but uh but nuance so when the when his father's when his father I think his father is injured or something like that yeah and he's going to die says no one's ever survived a sky snake battle attack and she goes boop anti-venom you're gonna be fine i also gave you a bunch of nutrients because you're you were you were, you were super super low on on vitamins yeah that it's was like, good that was a good scene like, but oh, okay the scene i'm referring to still is when the prime directive. huh <laughs> still yeah, breaking still the prime, directive, the prime directive i agree with you the scene i'm referring to is when the prince takes like the larger ship because it's like oh yeah we've known this stuff for years we yeah. just you know forgot about it we didn't talk about it and but you're like, how are you piloting the ship? How are the Drukmani piloting that ship? Yeah, that's a weird control seat surface. Yeah, because even like someone on the the uh, Cerritos said it'd be like, it's like, yeah, it's got far, far more powerful weapons than we've seen before. I'm like, yeah. and how do you guys know how to fly this thing? But I yeah, lo- but I love it when the prince gets in there and he goes and I'm going to save my people. I'm going to save my world from these pirates. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that scene. And it's just like, oh peanut hamper you just shot yourself in the foot <laughs> yeah uh, and, and the prince still takes the directive and, sh- to- and then peanut hamper at the end still tries to say oh now i've learned my lessons like you just lost all free all, all uh uh all the brownie all, points you built up all the brownie points you just built up all the all, all the goodwill you built up in the last couple minutes you just burned through all of it uh-huh you that is why you're going to get imprisoned in the daystrom institute uh-huh. next to agimus and i i love it how she was she the entire time before she had her little turnaround where it'd be like oh i'm gonna get you know sent to a penal colony or something like that yeah because because i i i went, I went um uh awol i went awol on uh, the cerritos but I think you know she teleported out and was adrift in space. That's right. Yes. I, I kept thinking she went she, AWOL because they yeah. didn't know where they went. Yeah. No one bothered to try and get her, uh, teleport her onto the on onto anything. Uh huh. At all. So it's like technically she went AWOL. Yeah. Yeah. They did not know to scan for synthetic life, though. I don't know how that can be different from biological. How those life readings change. But yeah. beside the point. Oh, the 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 point where the Cerritos does show up. They see they 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 yeah. And they the say, we're not going to send her to a penal colony. We just saw how she saved the day and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, okay. It's like okay, that's cool. But then it's more like oh, okay. Then you see what she did beforehand. Yes. It's like oh yeah, you can take these ships. They don't really use them. They're stupid backwater people. Yeah. And they're like oh, you just screwed the pooch, kid. <laughs> did you catch? uh the people in the who were in the the away team party that beamed down so uh yeah captain freeman mm-hmm. a couple other people we don't give a care about right and tindy yeah and tindy you know why tindy was there do you remember why tindy would be would, would be there uh in no small parts i know she's training to be a, a uh an officer she is but she was also the one that was supposed to be was a uh peanut hampers mentee uh uh first first uh voyage mentee yeah she's the one who was meant to show her around the that's, cerritos that's right so she was continuing her job yeah as peanut hampers mentee coming back to talk with her mm-hmm. agreed i like that that's a cool little detail they didn't have to do no yeah i completely agree anyway sorry yeah i, I like, keep interrupting you this, and this, i apologize this was a good episode this is a good episode 
and it it, it was like uh, it's like oh peanut hamper is like why in the world are you here mm-hmm. then she has her little redemption arc and we get like this this nice encounter between the pirates the cerritos and the uh the 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 Ariores, and uh, that was cool and then yeah. you get the the that, big you get the big revelations like oh yeah peanut hamper sold them out yeah and i do like actually the design of the Ariores. i thought yeah. they're a well-designed alien race for this yeah, agreed the other cool thing i want to bring up in this that i really appreciated is right there right after she teleports out into space from no small parts mm-hmm. and you see you know shacks in the shuttlecraft uh-huh. taking boimler over there and all that you can hear parts of that episode playing so yeah. you know what's going on and, and you actually even get to hear Shax's last line from no small parts again uh hang in there baby bear yeah and before it blows up and then of course peanut hamper has to crap all over this whole thing uh-huh. and reminding us that Shax is dead but he's not dead he came back to life and we still don't know how and i think that's the point yeah but anyway anyways anywho you ready for the next one? Yeah, let's go to the next one. Next one's fun. Mm-hmm. Crisis Point 2 Paradoxus. Directed by Michael Mullen and written by Ben Rogers. In this episode, Boimler's Holodeck movie sequel tries to live up to the original. Along with playing Shax again, mm-hmm. Fred Tadasior also plays the Kazinti Ensign. That's the Bobcat looking guy that was on the bridge of the Cerritos. Oh, okay. That's a Kazinti okay they're like the uh cations okay. you know like uh, the doctor is yeah but they're different okay uh mary holland plays helena gibson the love interest that doesn't get to be a love interest uh, oh yeah the, yeah. Ca- the carol shelby <laughs> yeah okay uh, sorry not carol shelby uh, uh carol marcus carol marcus character character Mar- Car- yeah. carol shelby created the mustang <laughs> yes <laughs> Anyway, uh, Seth Morris as the Illustrator. I think mm-hmm. that's the guy with the, the tape, the the map tattooed on his back to Kitty Hop. Oh my gosh, yeah. Star Trek V. Leonardo Ooh. Nam as Australian street punk. Ben Rogers as both Nick Knack and Steve Stevens. I love Nick Knack. <laughs> Carl Tart as Kayshawn. Mm-hmm. Alice Wetterlund as left, center, and right Melponar. The Melponar triplets. And those are their names, left, center, and right. Wow. It's you can just barely make that out in when Boimler brings up his holodeck script. Yeah. When he's gonna fast forward to the credits. Yeah. You can just barely make out character names, and the Melponers are named left, center, and right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and also our special guest for this episode. George Takei as Captain Hikaru Sulu. Getting into the trivia for this, and bear with me, there is a lot of trivia for this. I can imagine. This episode did not have a standard title card that was traditionally shown in the opening of the first act. The in-universe opening sequence of the holodeck movie features its own title card that nearly matches the name of the real-world episode using the Roman numeral 2 instead of the number 2. Ah. As in Crisis Point, this episode is presented in the wider 2.39 by 1 aspect ratio during the holodeck movie sequences, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the uh, standard movie yes. uh, aspect ratio. 
But this aspect ratio is limited to the holodeck only. When characters exit to the real world, it switches to the series' normal 16 by 9 ratio. In fact, Mariner had to step over the black bar to exit the holodeck. She did. <laughs> also, as in Crisis Point, film grain effect is added to the holodeck sequences, mm -hmm. and a Q mark can actually be seen in the upper right-hand corner of the frame at one point. Wow. The opening credits and the font used for the location names are drawn from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yes. The planet Tadasior 9 is named after Shax's voice actor, Fred Tadasior. Okay. During the Hollow program, the crew travel back to July 15th, 1982. In the real world, this was the day before Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan premiered in the UK. George Takei reprised his iconic role of Hikaru Sulu after first last portraying the role in live action in the Star Trek Voyager episode flashback yeah. in 1996. Uh, the holodeck program Crisis 2 Paradoxus references a number of previous Star Trek movies. You knew this uh, was coming. A little bit. A little bit. The sovereign class USS Wayfair arrives to save the USS Cerritos during its battle with a Valdor-type warbird, alluding to several elements of the battle in Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah. Furthermore, the Kazinti Khan officer interrupts Captain Freeman's incomplete order for the crew to escape pods with, Captain, incoming ship, it's the Wayfarer! Echoing the USS Defiance Con after interrupting Worf's order for ramming speed in Star Trek First Contact with, Sir, there's another starship coming in. It's the Enterprise. And, also, and then you get the exact same shot of where the Wayfarers mm -hmm. in front of it's from the exact Cerritos same shot. <laughs> it also resembles Boimler's declaration on the arrival of the Titan in the episode No Small Parts. Oh, uh, okay. The Mel Ponar triplets are a reference to the Duras sisters, Lursa and mm. Bator, two reoccurring characters who were the secondary antagonists in Star Trek Generations. Yes. And like I said earlier, in Boimler's holoscript, the three centers were identified as left, center, and right. right. <laughs> Jeez. Mariner's line about the movie having a time travel plot, and if it will involve the assassination of John F. Kennedy is a direct reference to Gene Roddenberry's scrap plot idea for the initial sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture, in which the Klingons would use the Guardian of Forever to travel back in time to thwart the Kennedy assassination, leaving the crew of the Enterprise to set things right. I remember that. No, you don't. That didn't happen. I remember hearing about yeah. it. <laughs> when Boimler describes part of the plot to Mariner about how the Romulans intend to on using the chronogami to rewrite any part of history mariner asks if that means it makes a cinematic alternate universe that runs concurrent to their own but with other people playing younger versions of themselves <laughs> referencing the 2009 star trek film and its setting in an alternate reality uh-huh the stopover at the Europa Lab has many similarities to star trek II: the wrath of khan uh -huh. the lab itself is similar to regular one and it includes the Zabruski Turnbow Drive, also known as the most important device in the universe. Do you know what I'm not talking about? No idea. Do you know the device in many movies, including Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, yeah. that has two, has two tubes running parallel to each other with blinking red lights going in a circle? Yes. That. And it is in so many things. It is. Like and you're... they did it. put it in here, too. <laughs> it's even in uh, Airplane 2, which okay. is the sequel to Airplane. Plane? And it has, and and that's where William Shatner is playing uh, 
the guy on, on the space station that they're because that airplane goes into space and it's there and Shatner, Shatner asks uh, what they've learned about everything and the guy says we still don't know what this device does it just has lights going in a uh, moving in a line we have no idea we'll just research it we got to find out okay well see if you figured out well these lights on this other machine don't just keep blinking out of sequence we'll make them blink in sequence it's airplane it's the yeah. only funny scene in the movie because the rest of it is repeating airplane one got it but anyway uh, Dr. Gibson and her estranged relationship with Dagger resembles the same of Carol Marcus and James T. Kirk, and the briefing video's production style resembles the Genesis device briefing video. Yes. Gibson's attire also resembled that of Dr. Marcus. Yes. The Wayfair and the Cerritos crews following the Romulans back in time to prevent whatever damage they may do to the timeline is similar to the USS Enterprise-E crew following the Borg back in Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. the algae crisis plot of an aquatic species helping to avert a disaster is similar to the humpback whales helping to prevent an alien probe from destroying earth in star trek IV: the voyage home yes another one another holodeck simulation of the founding of the federation appears in the enterprise episode these are the voyages hmm. which served as not just the ending of enterprise but the ending of star trek for a while hmm the exterior shot of Starfleet headquarters near the Golden Gate Bridge was originally created for Star Trek IV The Voyage Home mm-hmm. and has been reused in Next Generation episodes Conspiracy and Voyager's Non Sequitur. The Romulan's bomb design is the same as the Thaleron generator from Star Trek Nemesis. Okay, I remember that. The quest to find the meaning of life and the godlike entity of Kittyha is similar to Cybok's quest to find Shakari and the godlike entity that inhabited it in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Oh my god. Or as I like to call it, Captain Kirk saves the universe from not God. Oh yeah, I, I hope you're going to bring this up, but if you don't, I'm bringing it up. Knick-knack, uh, blowing up the wall of the brig to free Boimler and Mariner is similar to Montgomery Scott doing the same to free Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yeah. The third moon of Shatanari is similar to the name Shakari from Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Shakari was an allusion to Sean Connery, who was considered to be cast in the role of Cybok. Shatanari alludes to William Shatner whom writer ben rogers had considered for this episode my gosh so yeah shatanari shatner i wonder (laughs) the reveal of kitty ha oh my god being the evolution of the kitty hawk flyer (laughs) pearl parallels the reveal of v'ger being the evolution of the voyager six probe in star trek the motion picture both kitty ha and V'ger's names are also corruptions of their original names. I was like, Kitty Ha. Kitty, oh, I no, told you Kitty that. Hawk. I told you that Friday. I was like, I hope I'm not spoiling anything. No. Surely he won't make this connection too soon. I was like, Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding me. Boimler dreams of being on Kirk's ranch in Idaho with Hikaru Sulu and asks if he is in the Nexus. The ranch appeared to Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard when they were inside the Nexus in Star Trek Generations. Interesting note. That section was not presented in Letterbox. Oh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. But they but it, you get I got so wrapped up when it, when I watched it, I didn't catch that. Hmm. 
Boimler dealing with the death of his trans... Oh, yeah. Th now we're getting to the big stuff. Uh, exactly. Boimler dealing with the death of his transporter clone is similar to where Picard had to deal with the loss of his brother and nephew in a house fire in Star Trek Generations. That's right. Ransom says that William Boimler was killed by a gas leak of neurocene gas, the same poison used by the counterinsurgency program in Deep Space Nine's episode Civil Defense. Oh. Ransom says his best friends are Honest, Westlake, and Matt. They are characters we've met before. Oh, okay. But Westlake is actually a reference to series composer whose last name is Westlake. I can't remember his first mm. name. My apologies. Boimler says that he should have stayed a raisin farmer and married Leanne in this episode. Mm. William Boimler asking the Section 31 agent why a clandestine organization would use a special com badge references Star Trek Discovery, which introduced the Section 31 com badge in its second season, set at a time when Section 31 was openly the official intelligence branch of Starfleet before the organization went rogue. William Boimler secretly defects from Starfleet for Section 31, the first known transporter clone, Thomas Riker, mm -hmm also defected from Starfleet to join the Maquis in 2370. Which means, I want to point this out. Oh my gosh. When I brought that up, when we were doing season, oh, when we at the beginning of season two. Yeah. I called it! <laughs> and you know how hard it was to not say anything <laughs> four weeks ago. Eight, Eight episodes, seven, yeah, eight episodes ago, yeah. when we had last had William Boimler on this show, because I had already seen this episode, <laughs> and I was going, I can't say it, I can't say it, I can't say it, I can't say it. I alluded to it, but I can't say it. <laughs> you did, you did. That's actually the end of my trivia. Oh my gosh! What do you think of this episode? Oh my gosh, your your, your... trivia was even just much trippier than anything else. It was great. <laughs> There's so much. That's that is not even all of it. That's just all people have recorded. Yeah, but yeah, the all the references, <laughs> the 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 point where Boimler is he's defeated because he believes that his his teleporter clone has died, and he's trying to deal with it, and he wants to know the the meaning of life. And like, what what I'm, is life of meaning? And the the like, oh I so wanted the giant god rock thing that was Kitty Ha to say forty seven. Do you know why? No. First off, in science fiction, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. What is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? I've told you this many yes, times. Forty two. Right. Forty two. But here's the thing: in Star Trek, the most common number. That ref it comes up because it was a running gag for three series hmm. was 47. If you go back and watch stuff like, uh, like I know you won't go back and watch the episodes because you it's not that you won't, but you're not in a hurry to, right. but you go back to like, say Star Trek generations when uh, Scotty is saying how many people he was able to transport off of the, uh, the El Orion ship before yeah. it blew up. He says, I got 47. Mm -hmm. out of 150 and there's things like that all across all of star trek where or, or all all these shows because they just kept using number 47 over and over again so it's like you could have made the, you could have made me laugh even more if if the first thing the stupid robot said when he asked what is the meaning of life and he just said 47 
I would have been like, you know what's going on. <laughs> and they do know a lot of what's going on. And that, that just wasn't the joke they thought of. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Be like the point where Bornbler like meets this meets uh kitty kitty ha kitty ha kitty ha kitty ha kitty ha oh my gosh that was so terribly funny and so be he starts getting like and uh uh mariners like it's just generating more generating yes. them words <laughs> it's you literally the holodeck literally created an inspirational quote generator yeah and i love how mariner the entire time it's like just giving comment like the entire yes. time and like movie references the whole bit and like what are we going back in time and like the stupid thing and da, 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 da. it's great and so Ooh. when 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 boiler has had enough and he starts digging the kitty hall like he starts digging he's like yes he's like oh that feels good oh don't do that yeah and when he gets down in there, he finds the kitty, he finds the kitty hawk flyer and gets up and says, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, I don't care. I know what you just referenced. And that was amazing. Oh, my God. I was like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Guess what? It makes only a little bit more sense for V'ger. <laughs> that is true because that movie made no sense. To me, it didn't. But anyways, it's it was better in a theater. I'll say oh, that. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. But uh, the the main part I absolutely loved is when um his his clone shows back up and they, they like they oh, I love the back part. and they pop him. I'm I like, loved the part right before that where it says, "Yeah, at least you didn't end on a cliffhanger." Everybody hates when you do that. Yeah. Boom. It's like we're getting a cliffhanger, cliffhanger. and you go into and it's. A photon torpedo Ooh. tube casing yes. it's like oh no what are you about to do it's like oh that's oh uh, that's clever that is super clever yes and thus the second episode of <laughs> the william Pointler arc starts not really <laughs> we still don't know anything about this character other than now he's working for section 31 One. Oh my gosh! So the, I, the I, most I, evil organization in Starfleet. I do have an idea for the uh, the artwork. <laughs> it's just more like okay, maybe it's the 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 donkey holding the little black badge. <laughs> I thought it'd be riding the kitty ha. <laughs> <laughs> that will confuse everybody. <laughs> Ooh, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> They're like, what? You gotta watch the episode. You gotta. I can't explain it. You just, just yeah. do it. Yonk. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, do you have any? I guess no. I should talk. You can tell I loved this episode. Yes. Because, dude, even the stuff that was not making active references. Yeah. To Star to other half stuff like tendy and rutherford's entire yeah. arc which i haven't even talked about yet no she gets to be captain for the first time and she's and apparently she's got a bit of a uh what do you call it a uh inferiority complex where she doesn't think anyone will listen to her if she's captain yeah because rutherford is not taking this thing seriously <laughs> oh my god i'm like you know what i'm with rutherford on this yes steal the steal the punk's clothes See if he's got a uh, a, a boombox. <laughs> Gosh, because that was the first thing I thought of when I saw the Australian street punks. This is when is this? Eighty six. This guy is gonna go on to direct the Muppets. 
because that's Kirk Thatcher who does yes. a lot of the Muppet stuff yes. later on. Yes. <laughs> or producer of a lot of the Muppet stuff. But <laughs> oh, at this point, they need to bring a Muppet in there because that would be funny. <laughs> oh, no. What they need to do on this show uh-huh. at some point? No good reason. Seth MacFarlane. Oh, no. Don't have to go to the Orville. Yeah. They'll never get Disney to play for that. But just have Seth MacFarlane come in as just a random character. Yeah. He's actually, Seth MacFarlane has actually been in Star Trek before. Yeah. He's in Nemesis for like a hot second. Yeah. <laughs> Bring him back. That's all I'm saying. That would be funny. Have him walk in with oh, a white so, uniform. As, just so, as so many Star Trek peak actors have been on the Orville. Mm-hmm. Bring Seth MacFarlane over. Just have him walk on, have him walk on stage. Preferably in, in something similar to his Orville yeah. uh, costume. It's like, I'm in the wrong. Sh- I think I walked in the wrong sh- transporter beam. <laughs> it's like, bye, bye. <laughs> anyway, no, this, this the whole. Uh, if you're listening, great, Paramount, this is a great movie. Yeah, a great movie. This is a great episode. Yes, it is. Uh, I was a little worried going into this because when I because they actually announced the title of this like far earlier than all the others. Mm-hmm. Because like, I we knew the I knew the title of this like by episode two of season three hmm. is when I saw it on the list and thought they're redoing this they surely they're not running out of ideas already no it's just it's just that Crisis Point One was making fun of all the great moments mm-hmm. in Star Trek film film history now we're gonna make fun of all oh, the bad ones yes the weird things it's like good night the only thing we're missing here is Data saying he can. In, in the event of emergency, he can be used as a flotation device. <laughs> That's about all we're missing here in a holodeck ship. Yeah. We haven't gotten a holodeck ship yet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Next time. Uh, but yeah, this is... This, I enjoyed this episode. It's fun. Mm. And of course, I like seeing Tendy's growth recently. Yeah, agreed. It was Definitely fun getting to see her. And of course, Rutherford's just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Having a good time, having a good time. Okay, moving on. So, yeah. Yep. Any other thoughts before we close this out? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm Next solid. week, we get the final two episodes mm-hmm. of season three, which are... If I can get this up. Trusted Sources. Mm-hmm. And... The stars at night. Hmm. Interesting. I know I, you want to say a lot. I right want now. to say a lot. All I will say is these will be the last, the, the so far, the last two episodes in the Alito arc. <laughs> join us next time for that uh along with of course rudolph the red-nosed reindeer boy this is going to be two weird mashups yes it is it's gonna be not that we haven't work. had that already uh but join us next time for that in the meantime do you got anything else before we cut out no i'm good all right in the meantime this is drew this is jacob and we'll catch you in the next frame You can follow Jacob on his Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. His Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox to Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page, Drew's Photo Bin, to see his photography. 
his letterboxed page at gGeorge759, his Twitter at gGeorge759, and Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at The Cellcast Podcast, on Twitch at The Cellcast Gaming, on YouTube at Cellcast, on Twitter at Cast underscore Cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us, and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information, please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L. trash compactor again maybe we can take her to the tanner